player. Supernatural. Is Confessions. Jonathan Lim is a familiar name in Singapore's theatre scene. He's the creator of Singapore's longest-running live parody sketch show, Chestnuts. An actor, director, and a playwright, he's also an author. Now, back in 2005, his book titled Our Supernatural Skyline Series, Between Gods and Ghosts, was released. Now, recently, Jonathan sat down with Supernatural Confessions to share his view on superstitions, beliefs, and society. A lot of Chinese do not know that the gods include hell. They also put it at the wrong part of the spectrum, right? You think, oh, if this is the gods, then hell must be at the other end. No, hell is also up here. There are gods in hell. If you're Buddhist, you will know that there's a Buddha in hell. Yeah, hell is a whole other parallel universe to Earth. You know, so it's very fascinating. So my book was about that whole larger understanding. I divided the book into two parts. The first front part is the logic, the understanding, you know, the, the discussion. The second part is a collection of first-hand accounts that somehow make those discussions make sense. And what a lot of people said was that nothing beats hearing a plain news-like account. No exaggeration, no obsessing about long nails and fangs, and no, none of that. Just describe it the way it happened, and it's chilling. As my work also started to move into history and culture, I started realizing that the supernatural is actually a major part of how we as human beings create society. I cannot tell you about my rules, my, 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 my agenda, without sharing my fears, my beliefs, my ghost stories. Now, of course, your book is not the only time you've tried weaving supernatural elements into your work, right? Years ago, I did a show. I believe so much in these things socially that I actually wrote a musical for children called H is for Hantu. H is for Hantu, that's good enough for you. We're going on a hunt to hunt to speak with Hantu one to one. We're going where the people dare not go. And it was actually to introduce modern young people to these traditional beliefs in a fun way that would not make the parents go, oh, you're perverting my kids, you know, but to go, yeah, they're full of good lessons kind of thing, you know. So in this story, uh, a little boy is trying to save his kampong and his best friends are a Pontianak and a Penanggal, you know? So, so I had to give them different names. So we called one Chikpon and we called the other one Miss P, right? And together, they saved the kampong, you know? And it was, it was an attempt to sort of introduce various spirits. We had Hantu Batu, we had Hantu Gala, we had the Banana Tree Spirit, you know, we had all these different ones, you know? And they all had their cookie, you know? It was like Nanya in the kampong, you know, that kind of idea. And, uh, Miss P was fascinating because some beliefs have it that she's not dead. She's a living person, right? Who through her magic has this ability, right? What has never made sense to me is why would you want to do this? If you had such a high level of magic, flying around with your intestines dangling is probably not what you would do with that magic. So it's a bit awkward. Some other versions say she was cursed. That makes more sense to me. Right? And that might make sense as to why she is no longer a living, eternal being, but rather trapped in this moment in time. Right? She got cursed. People like to make everything a vampire. That is thanks to Hollywood. That is the tendency. You know? So Chipon also a vampire, Lang Sui also a vampire, Miss P also a vampire. I'm like, none of them care for your blood. 
you know. Uh, so Miss P apparently is a vampire. Some stories have her as a child-stealing ghost also. One piece of, sort of, I won't say evidence, but one custom that proves that is that they used to build, uh, you know, around the kampong hut, right? The kampong on the stilts, right? Then they would surround it with uh, pineapple plants when there's a woman about to give birth. So that when Miss P comes low to come into the house, all her intestines get caught. I say, when you plant aloe vera, right? <laughs> okay, la, pineapple then you can use for the next wedding, right? Um, but that is interesting because w that pineapple will have no other purpose, right? No, none of the other spirits will be affected by the pineapple. So sometimes you sort of judge the veracity of the story by the social behavior of the people. If people are really doing that, if every midwife surrounds a house with pineapple, then yes, it is a genuine belief. And then, then that, that thread of the story has a bit more weight to it, right? Because people believe. All right, now growing up, did you have any personal stories or encounters with the paranormal? Uh, I was living in Badok North and across the junction from us, right? One, just a block across the point block, right? There were many rumors that there was an old man there who kept a Pontiana as a wife. And then sometime when I was there, he passed away. And, and we heard that there was a whole family drama because no one wanted to take over the responsibility of this wife who was part of the family, right? And so apparently, this is what I heard, they basically abandoned the house and left it to her. So she lived alone, single lady, you know, shopping at the economy mart or that as a Bondiana. It's a wonderful fantasy that you can tame the spirit. Yeah, speaking of which, two creatures that usually get confused with each other are the Pontiana and the Langsir. But what's interesting is, I discovered a divergence between the Langsir and the Pontiana, right? Which a lot of people don't know about because it's, it's only recorded in some very old studies, right? Uh, ethnographic studies, but uh, they can, they are not sisters in that sense, or they're not the same thing, right? I don't know if you've come across this before, but in a, in a double tragedy, if a mother and a child both die, the mother is the Langsua, the child is the Pontiana. Or in the older name was Matiana, dead child. Right? The Anna is the Klula, right? So the Langsua is actually the mother. And from what I can glean, they don't recognize each other. It's not a mother-child haunting together, no. That is a very Western concept, very sentimental. Right? For the Malay, when you become Hantu, you're not a ghost. You do not remember, you are not hanging around for unfinished business. No, that's a Western thing. When you become Hantu, you transform, right? You are this shape-shifting bird thing, you know, you are more like a yokai in the Japanese tradition than a yurei, which is a ghost with human longings, right? You become a creature and that's different. So uh, I find a good parallel with the banshee. You know, right, the Irish idea of the banshee. Because the banshee must have had a personal story. But she is no longer about who she was and what happened to her. She is now a representative of death. Similarly, the, the Pontiana and the Langsua become embodiments of something. No name, no history. That is the unknown. No amount of feeling will tame her. So I do not like stories of Pontiana where you can melt her heart. Sorry, that's wishful thinking. You can tell that to children, but that will get them killed one day. All right, so lending upon both your experience as a director and a playwright, along with your passion for the paranormal, 
What do you believe are the ingredients to a good horror story? I think there are several things. One of them must be not so much the unknown, but the uncontrollable. Right? What you don't know, you can learn. But there's only so much you can control something which, even if you understand it, acts on its own agenda. That is the thing where as a human being you go, oh shit. I cannot negotiate with the tiger and I cannot negotiate with this hantu. So then fear begins, right? The unexpected, the unknown, you know? Um, so someone like Chikpo and you know, someone like Hantu Penanggal and all that, you know, we try to ward them off because we try to understand their logic. They like to do this, they like to do that. That's why when you hear a lot of these stories, straight away, the second sentence will be how to protect yourself, how to ward off. There is no way to mitigate the fear. Just because I have a nail in my hand does nothing to prevent you from fear. When you tell the story, it's a different level. If you are living in that village and night is coming, no nail is going to make you feel good. Fear comes from knowing that the darkness is unknowable. That sound is, I don't know where it's from. And when she comes, I don't know what she wants. I don't know what she will do. All those question marks is fear. And your knowledge is just one tiny little candle flame and the wind is blowing and that's it. You know, to me, that is horror. Right? The lamest horror is when the humans are too equipped and then that knowledge makes them somehow powerful. Then that balance shifts and then it's not horror anymore. The human must be so small, so small against the darkness. You know, This is one reason why, for example, uh, talking about something very contemporary, right? You know, uh, talking about it, right? I have a love-hate relationship with the concept of it. <clears throat> Never mind book versus film or that, lah, right? But the whole concept of it succeeds and fails at the same time. Because the idea that something like a clown is just a, a doorway to something so unknowable and so bizarre is one, wonderful. It's, it's very Lovecraftian. Mm. You know, that behind those tentacles, I don't know what worlds of darkness are there. Yeah, it's like, oh shit, <laughs> what shapes are we awaiting me? That to me is you know, jewel, okay, in, in it. But the idea that a bunch of kids can shout at it into submission, no, sorry, no. That is American arrogance. That is the fairy tale of the culture. No Asian would ever offer you the option. Sorry, no. No elder gods will be bullied by you. That's the dilemma that Stephen King is in. I think he has tapped into some wonderful things, but as an American novelist, he knows his audience, right? So unfortunately, he's got to sell out the spirits to appease the, the humans. In Asia, you never sell out the spirits. Okay, let's talk about superstitions. You've got quite a deep, well-thought-out theory regarding these beliefs and practices. Just the other day, you know, someone was telling me like, oh, you know, uh, after I watch your shows and all that, you know, should I go home and wash my hands, wash my feet? You know, I said, you should anyway, because you are out in the jungle. What kind of dirty person are you that you wouldn't wash your hands and feet before going home? That's gross, right? And we don't think of that because we live in a city. You know, I go shopping, I don't have to wash my feet before I come into my house. But if you live in a kampong, you do not step into your house with dirty feet. Later, we will be eating on the ground, inches away from your dirty footprint, <laughs> right? So a lot of these superstitions and customs really stem from, how do I teach my children to wash their bloody hands and feet? I have to give them a hantu to do it because they yeah, will not listen, 
right? Now our hantu is Ministry of Health. We should now have like this hantu sugar that comes after you for soft drinks. You know, then suddenly we will all eat less sugar, right? So the government is our hantu now. La. When I was a child, you know, my grandmother would make sure like whenever my uncle attended a funeral, there will always be a basin of water outside the house, right? She told me, oh, it's the spirits. You know, but if you think about the logic of it, in the early days, before a high level of reservation of bodies and all that, right, low sanitation, if you attend a funeral, you will probably bring back whatever that person died of because that house will not be clean. So you definitely need to purify yourself before coming in, right? And even concepts of purification before you enter a temple, right? You know, not, not to... Not, not, not to sort of, you know, imply anything, but religions also come from common sense. If I'm going to a common place of worship where hundreds of people are going to be there and I have the cold, should I not wear a mask? And if I came from goodness knows where, should I not wash my hands and feet? Of course I do. Common sense, right? But we call it purification. It starts to seem spiritual. And maybe that gives you a better reason to do it. Because God wants you to be clean. No, actually, the other people want you to be clean. But God is more powerful. Right? Of course, absolutely, right? God, it's very democratic. Belief is democratic. Whatever everybody else needs, let's just say God needs it. Then you will do it, right? So America wouldn't be in such a mess if God said vaccinate. But because God did not say vaccinate, now humans can argue, I don't want, I don't want, right? So you need another hantu there to say you better vaccinate. You know, so if this was... If vaccination became a problem, you would immediately, within one generation, have a hantu that comes after children who don't vaccinate. I, I, I'll give you an example, right? I've, I discovered in my research a spirit called hantu Islam. Very interesting. Or hantu Kramat. There are various, various versions of it. But its job was to go around on Friday and haunt people who are not at the mosque. And I'm like, wow, these hantu are very cooperative with the new religion that came. So this is pagan Malay supporting Islam by policing social behavior, right? Yeah. So again, lah, it's belief, lah. It's belief. You know, Be belief, social behavior becomes what we consider ghost stories. I love the whole sort of psychology of these things, right? How many people need to believe in it before that common belief conjures something? If you are the type that believes in that, a very thin veil between what I perceive and what exists. If we all can see it, have we not made it happen? Will we not be killed by the thing that we think we see, right? Uh, sleep paralysis is the best example of this, right? You know, sleep paralysis happens to everyone, right? And science has its explanation for what sleep paralysis is. But the human mind cannot use science to explain this fear. It will grab the scariest thing and that becomes undeniable to you. So sleep paralysis is the best example of where belief and science clash. No matter how much science you give me, it's not a scientist that I see standing at the foot of my bed. It is fill in the blank, right? They did an experiment with children. Uh, same age, wide range of backgrounds. They saw everything from boogeyman to Darth Vader, but all exhibiting exactly the same sleep disorder. When I, when I first joined the church, I was told, it's the devil. Right? If something's pressing you, it's the devil. Any Malay person who experienced it, straight away chipon. Chinese person, if it's seven months, oh, then must be hungry ghost. So it's really just a blank for you to fill in. So we are really very vulnerable to the things we fear. You know? And it's very exciting. To me, it's very exciting. You know? 
For the full video interview with Jonathan Lim and details on Cursed, his upcoming haunted adventure and scavenger hunt, visit SupernaturalConfessions.com. Supernatural. Supernatural. Confessions.